and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation from Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number 877-973-7425. Really glad to have you with me. Uh, I've got a friend of mine joining me here. Uh, Joe Biden has said we got to do something about high gas prices now. He wants to do everything. When they're not telling you to get a battery-powered car, they're saying they're trying to release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. They're trying to get petroleum companies to boost uh, what they're pulling out of the ground, even if they're not expanding leases. But one of the bigger issues is natural gas. Right now, according to my friend Victoria Coates, millions of gallons of natural gas could be streaming out of central Pennsylvania and shipped out of a new export facility in Gibbstown, New Jersey. Instead, environmental extremists emboldened by the Biden administration's heavy regulations have spent the last year and a half shutting down the critical project. Victoria was a, I should say Dr. Coates, is a uh, former deputy national security advisor to President Trump. Help with the Abraham Cords, among other things, and she joins me by phone. How are you, Eric? It's great to be with you. But most important things first. How's your lovely bride? You know she's doing fine. So for those of you Good. who weren't here in the first hour, she she kind of got waylaid by COVID, but she is is rebounding. Um, she's actually in the kitchen watching YouTube, which means she's up recovering. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very good to hear. I hope you, I hope you get to see some golf this weekend. Well, I hope so. But now my kid's got a soccer game tomorrow and I'm uh, thinking, do I, do I bail on the soccer game? Cause if he doesn't show there aren't enough kids and I'm like, I think the coach uh, would understand. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's the master once in a lifetime. Yeah. Exactly. All right. We, we, we got to get to work here. Okay. So I'm going to ambush you here in a moment uh, and mm -hmm. talk to you about the Iran deal. But I want to talk about this first. Uh, you've you've got this story in the New York Post uh, about the natural gas facilities. And as I told you the other day, I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, that environmentalists uh -huh. have upped the pressure on the Biden administration to stop every new LNG export facility in the nation. Well, and I'll tell you, I mean, this is where the disconnect between the reality and the fantasy that the Biden administration is living in is just becoming crystal clear to everybody. And, you know, the, the president keeps insisting that it's all the fault of big oil and, you know, that, that releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve are somehow going to magically fix the problem. That's simply untrue. The only thing that will fix the problem is to expand production. And, you know, as I looked into the Why Losing project that you described, it, it really is shocking uh, that, that this plant should have been coming online now. We literally could be surging gas into Europe across the Atlantic right this minute. And instead, last month, they announced they were just going to let the permits expire and let it, let it uh, just shudder. So, this is this is the impact that these people are having. And, you know, the way that they went after this particular project was transporting the gas by rail, which President Trump had had an executive order permitting. President Biden, of course, issued a second executive order, making it very difficult. That's something he could reverse with a stroke of a pen if he wanted to get more gas moving around the United States. But you notice he's not actually doing that. 
Well, he's not. And, and I saw the Obama-appointed federal judge blocked uh, the development of a Appalachian pipeline that could have also spread more gas outside of Appalachia around the country and gotten it to export facilities in, in the Gulf of Mexico. This it, it, they, they just don't seem to really be serious about the issues facing us. I saw a an article out, I think it was in The Hill this morning, that behind the scenes, the Democrats still believe that climate change is their biggest priority, even more so than containing Vladimir Putin. And that's, again, such a disconnect. You can both be for a good, uh, responsible climate policy and oppose Vladimir Putin. You, these things are not mutually uh, mutually exclusive. And, you know, Russia is one of the biggest polluters in the world. Russian natural gas emits 40% more emissions than nice, clean Pennsylvania natural gas. So you are actually contributing to the climate problem if you do not increase exports of U.S. natural gas. Now, listen, I, I, I feel like we keep mentioning Pennsylvania here. There may be some hometown bias there. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about baseball right now, given what the Braves started out doing. But, <laughs> I mean, we do have this around the country. And not only that, we've got the, the oil issue as well. Now, I know you were involved in, in the Trump White House as a deputy national security advisor and also in the Middle East. And, and I want to spend a little bit of time before we actually get to Iran, this situation where, where you guys were able to put together uh, really a, a new dynamic for peace in the Middle East uh, with the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Israel. And now those countries not only aren't returning Biden's phone calls, they're starting to look at China, including helping China build refineries. And I'd really like to get your take on that. Yeah, it's it's, it's really a, a disgraceful situation and such a disappointment. We did so much with both Israel and the Gulf Uh during the Trump administration. And in both cases, there was a huge energy component to it. Uh, Israel, part of what led to the Abraham Accords was Israel's uh, membership in the Eastern Mediterranean Gas Forum, which brought it closer together with Jordan and Egypt, which Israel already had peace deals with, but it it led to this broader thaw in the Arab world. And of course, the Gulf is is the world's energy hub. And, you know, what, what, what we learned from the Trump administration that is that the United States is no longer what we call a consuming nation. We are now a producing nation where we can export. Uh, we, we, we are generating more than what we need. And that is a huge shift strategically. And my conversations in the Gulf in 2020 were mostly about, you know, how do we exploit this new capacity and our historic friendships with countries like Saudi Arabia and UAE, you know, and take this new posture, which is just a huge strategic gift to the United States. China fears that they can't do it. And, you know, those conversations now are completely silent. And you have Biden completely misunderstanding this. You know, when he goes to Saudi Arabia and UAE and says, turn on the the taps, you know, prices are too high. They say, well, where is your production? Because if they produce more, the prices will go down, they'll make less money, they'll do it if they feel like we are making a similar gesture, but then he depresses our production. And that's why they won't cooperate with us anymore. 
that makes a lot of sense. I, I hadn't heard it explained that way. And and it, they've still got the situation there as well where, I mean, just for example, a few weeks ago, uh, American forces outside Abu Dhabi intercepted uh, potential rocket attacks from the Houthi in Yemen that uh, Iran is funding. And you've got all these countries there who don't see us, not only don't see us backing them, but a- actually not really doing anything to help them against the Houthi. Yeah, and that's a pretty good segue into the Iran topic. You know, it's the the attacks on Saudi uh, critical energy infrastructure, the attacks on Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, are all being aided, abetted, trained, equipped, paid for by the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, and that's why the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is the core of, of Iran's military, has been designated as a foreign terrorist organization for their indiscriminate attacks on civilians and civilian in- infrastructure. And while, you know, the Biden administration will go crazy over, you know, something that happens in Gaza and berate our Israeli friends when they have to defend their own country against terrorists, when our friends in the Gulf get attacked by terrorists, they're very muted. And remember, they took the Houthi off the foreign terrorist organization right. list this time last year, and the Houthi have done nothing but engage in more terrorism. And it's it's deeply dangerous and all the more reason we should be standing with our friends, not with our enemies. Uh, we, we should. And, and yet, it, it, so can you kind of explain just from your vantage point, uh, neither of us are psychiatrists, but uh, we had the Obama administration seem desperate to get a deal with Iran. And now in comes the Biden administration, and they seem almost even more desperate to get even a bad deal with the Iranians for reasons I just can't seem to understand. It's Again, it's disconnected from reality, and you are being, we've seen a whole bunch of Democrats, and particularly in the House, but there are some in the Senate as well, come out publicly against the Iran, the proposed second Iran deal, and you know that means there is no political appetite, there is no constituency for this thing, and we, you could you can make the argument, and I think this is what the original Obama policy was based on that preventing Iran from getting a nuclear weapon should be their prime directive as a way of sort of literally diffusing Iran and making them part of, you know, what you call the community of civilized nations. Now, I don't think that's possible, possible personally, but I think that's what motivated them. You can't make that argument now. You know, we know that the Iranians continue to hold on to preserve, archive plans for nuclear weapons all the time, all the while that the, the original deal was being uh, was being negotiated. So that thing wasn't negotiated in good faith. We know that. They lie. Mm-hmm. They're lying again now. There's no way you can explain that away. And, you know, they just are so committed to globalization and doing things by committee that they think this is going to work. Now, I, I want to play a, a clip real quick. Uh, General Milley was testifying before Congress, had this to say. Yeah, Senator, uh, just for clarity, um, political appointees uh, are different than me. I have to sign a document that requires me to give you. You're right. Document. And I'm sorry, Mr. Secretary. I didn't yeah. mean you. So, I meant General Milley. Uh, so in my personal opinion, uh, I believe the IRGC coups force to be a terrorist organization, and I do not support them being delisted from the foreign terrorist organization. Thank you for your honesty. And this is something that apparently I've heard now from multiple people is is something at play here. We could be taking the uh, Revolutionary Guard off the terror list. I actually think General Milley, who I know pretty well, 
chose his words very carefully there, and I think we should be very cautious about what he said, Eric. He said IRGC cuts force, not the IRGC. The cuts uh-huh. force is the elite, and they are for sure terrorists, but they have been on the STO list for a long time. The cuts force has. That's what General Soleimani led. And what we did to take it another step was sanction the entire IRGC, and the Iranians hate this. Uh, you'll hear Secretary Blinken talk about how it's mostly a symbolic designation, so it doesn't really matter. This is a confession we can give. Well, then why do the Iranians insist on getting it listed? Right. It's because it does bite. It, there are severe travel restrictions, material support for terrorism. It facilitates having the victims of their crimes sue them. So they hate it for good reason. Nobody wants to be on that list. And they have done nothing to meet the criteria to get off of it. I would say they've gotten worse since Biden's been in office. Uh, so I think I think Milley was setting up a situation there where they might take the IRGC off and leave the cuts first on and sort of say, oh, well, you know, this, this squares the circle. But I'm not buying that at all. Gosh, uh, is there anything that can be done? I know Manchin, I think, yes, has come out and said he's he doesn't support any new deal, and they've got to go through Congress to a degree. But I'm I'm kind of worried that this sounds more and more like a done deal. I think they're going to force it through, and and the, the sort of compounding irony here is that they're relying on the Russians in Vienna to do these negotiations, right. and so on the one hand, you're you know wringing your hands and refusing to help our Ukrainian friends because you're worried Vladimir Putin is going to use a nuclear weapon. And on the other hand, you're relying on Vladimir Putin's lackey, Ulyanov, in Vienna to prevent the Iranians from getting a nuclear weapon. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. But I think, you know, Senator Manchin is correct. Uh, This thing would have to be passed through the Senate as a treaty to be in any way binding on a future president. So I think all we can do is shout from the rooftops that if there's a change in the Congress in November, uh, the Congress can do work on reimposing sanctions that the president might or might not be able to veto. And then for sure, if the Republicans take the White House in 2024, I would I would go out on a limb and promise you that any viable candidate would uh, cease participation in the deal the day of the inauguration. Oh, I sure hope so. Well, I got to leave it there. It's always good to talk to you. My best to your husband. He sends the same back. You take care, Eric. All right. Take care. Victoria Coates, uh, Deputy National Security Advisor to President Trump, a, a dear friend of mine. She and her husband, two of the nicest people on planet Earth. And she knows her stuff. Fascinating history just as because I got to brag about her because she's awesome. She has a degree, doctorate in art history, was an art history professor started getting involved in politics and national security and uh, found her way into as deputy national security advisor, helping structure the Abraham Accords. She's absolutely brilliant. Her husband's awesome too. Like them a lot and always learn something from her. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. I I, I got to laugh about this. Um, this is an exchange between, I think it's Kate Bedenfield, the White House communications director, one of the reporters of the White House press room after it was announced, Nancy, man, uh, Raphael Warnock, the senator from Georgia. Uh, who else? Um, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Warnock, uh, like th- four or five other senators, they've all gotten COVID. And Pelosi was at the White House hanging out while clearly contagious, gave the president a hug. And this is the exchange between Kate Bedenfield and the reporter. For Amy Coney Barrett, it turned out to be a COVID super spreader event. Potentially, 
Uh, what precautions are being taken today? I mean, first, when was the last time the president was tested? The vice president, because we know Speaker Pelosi, who we're looking at right here a few days ago, is now positive. Well, the president was tested Wednesday night, tested negative. And as we uh, said yesterday, he was also not a CDC defined close contact with Speaker Pelosi. But look, certainly uh, we have seen an increase in cases. We know that with the BA2 variant is trans is very transmissible. Uh, we are taking uh, many, many precautions. We take precautions to ensure uh, that the president uh, is protected. But I do think it's important to note that, you know, it is possible he will test positive for COVID at some point. And we're in a very different place than we were uh, for example, when uh, they held that event uh, for Justice Barrett, which is to say we have vaccines, we have treatments. Uh, you know, the president is vaccinated and double boosted and so, uh, you know, protected from uh, severe COVID. So, you know, I can leave it there. So it wasn't a CDC designated close contact. They literally were cheek to cheek. But there's something else here. Have you all noticed even after the vaccine? Even after the booster, if there's a Republican event, it's always a super spreader event in the media. If it's a Democratic event, it's a, well, they're all vaccinated and these things can happen sometimes. It's just the science. Have you noticed that double standard? Because I'm really starting to clue in on that double standard. Uh, it's like the, the treatment between Ron DeSantis and Andrew Cuomo during the height of the pandemic. And... Um, DeSantis was following the science, protecting the elderly. Cuomo was packing them in the nursing homes, letting them give each other COVID and die. And the media was praising Andrew Cuomo, has never held him accountable. And they were excoriating DeSantis. And, you know, Brian Kemp in Georgia, too. Kemp, we shouldn't forget, Brian Kemp was the very first governor, even before DeSantis, to open his state said he didn't just have a job to keep people safe from a virus, but to keep people safe from economic fallout and was doing his best to balance it. And they, I mean, even Trump excoriated him for opening the state and it turned out it worked to put Georgia competitively ahead of every other state economically in the nation. Um, got one of the best, un lowest unemployment rates in the country now. But no, to the media, it was all bad because they didn't have a D next to their name. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. Now, listen, I I'm going to play you some audio here. And it is audio I have played numerous times. I'm not doing it just to be lazy. I'm, I, I need to explain to you why I'm doing this. It's, it's I think, important that you hear this because of the story I'm about to talk about. Uh, this is the coverage of the presidency of Donald Trump for his first two years. This only covers 2017, 2018 by mainstream media outlets, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, Fox, and MSNBC. I know I played it the other day, but this is setting the stage for the story that you got to understand. And this is the coverage. Breaking news. A bombshell. Today is a turning point. Today was historically bad for President Trump. Today was a turning point. A turning point. We're at a turning point here. The beginning of the end for the Trump presidency. We have another bombshell. Mike Pence might have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumblings of the word impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell out of the White House. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. It's really the beginning of the end. He may be feeling the walls closing in on him. All the walls closing in 
in on him. The walls closing in on him. Breaking news, a new bombshell. One astrologer says this means the beginning of the end for President Donald Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. Is this the tipping point? I know we've said it over and over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. This is a tipping point. And over and over. Breaking news, President Trump off the rails. It was the beginning of the end today. The beginning of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight bombshells. This is a very dramatic day and I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping point? December 1st, 2017, you can mark it down. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the end? Beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. We begin tonight with a bombshell. Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president will resign. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping point. Trump's going down. This president could be impeached. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president is going to serve out his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. He will not serve out his term. No way. Know how. Breaking news. Absolute bomb. Donald Trump is not. He's done. And it's over. It's over. The wall's closing in. The wall's closing in. This is going to be the Achilles heel. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to depart. This week will be the watershed week. Trump is in big trouble. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man who feels the walls closing in. The walls are increasingly closing in on him. Tonight, the walls are closing in. Today changed everything. This is the beginning of the end. Today, the biggest tipping point for the Trump administration. What historic day, the bombshells. He's underwater. He feels the walls closing in. Turning point. We may be at a tipping point. It's the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Another bombshell. 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 This is a bombshell. It is. That was two years. 2017, January of 2017 to December of 2018. Forever. The left, through the press, has expected to get Donald Trump. The latest effort to get Donald Trump comes from the New York City Manhattan DA's office, and it's falling apart. The Daily Beast, not exactly friendly to Trump, has a story. The spin on the story from the Daily Beast is fascinating to me. It will be to you, I assure you. Listen to this opening, though. Over the last several weeks, the Manhattan District Attorney's investigation into former President Donald Trump has appeared to be unraveling, with two top prosecutors on the case resigning over the lack of charges and the DA feeling so attacked over the lack of movement that he issued a statement Thursday saying an indictment against Trump could still come. Investigations are not linear, DA Alvin Bragg Jr. told CNN, so we are following the leads in front of us. And that's what we're doing. But inside the DA's office, the inertia and frustration over Trump potentially avoiding culpability looks worse than ever before. Yet another prosecutor appears to have pulled back from the case, according to knowledgeable sources, who say it could be further proof of the probe's failure. And sources now seem to think Trump dodging an indictment is inevitable. Solomon Scheinrock, a lead investigator, who helped drive much of the intensive four-year effort, is no longer as actively involved in the case, according to three people with knowledge of the matter who spoke on condition of anonymity. 
In recent weeks, Shine Rock's pullback from the team investigating Drup has been conspicuous enough to frustrate some who have been on the prosecutor's side and has been noticeable enough to quietly delight lawyers working on the ex-president's and Trump administration's end. Another familiar a person with familiar with the situation described the current state of the team, which has been investigating Trump as gutted and a shell of its former self. Among the frustrated is Shinerock, according to a source familiar with the matter. Shinerock has predictably refrained from comment. But he is apparently still employed in the DA's office and frustrated by the direction of the case. I want you to think of the framing of the story. It's not that perhaps there's no there there. It's that the DA's office can't seem to get its butt in gear and get the man indicted. You know, so two of the prosecutors quit, and one of them uh, it ran an op-ed and said, based on what I've seen, I know the man is guilty as all get out, and he should be buried under the jail. Question. Do you really think in the city of New York, where a Democrat against Trump gets 80 to 90% of the vote, that the district attorney is on Trump's side? Do you think, I mean, the man would be a hero to the left if he got Trump indicted? Maybe, just maybe. Is it possible? And I know it's a stretch for some people. I know this is a stretch. For a lot of people, but could it possibly, maybe, possibly, could it be that based on the law and the facts, there's no grounds for an indictment? I know. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, he's clearly guilty. I, I, this is so bizarre. They they have wish cast for the downfall of Donald Trump since he was on those escalators announcing his presidency, announcing he was going to run for president. They've been after him. And they haven't been able to get him. And it, could it be that there's actually, uh, they, there are things he did that were not good, that maybe were not right, but are not necessarily illegal. And this is kind of where we are with the left these days, that if you do something the left does not like, they expect you to be prosecuted even if there's no law. If they don't like you, they want you arrested and jailed. And it's not just the left. I mean, look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. Jimmy Kimmel uh, said a joke about her. Uh, essentially, he played some clip of her being an idiot and said, where's Will Smith when you need him? She literally called the police on Jimmy Kimmel. Claiming that joke, uh, it threatened her. It could cause her harm. She, she, she went to the police over a joke on a late night show. I mean, the left does this too. Well, well, the thing here is is no one in the media actually uh, acknowledges that the man is innocent until proven guilty. And thus far, they haven't been able to even indict him to attempt to show that he's guilty of anything. But they don't care because orange man bad, he must go away. This is all about stopping Trump from running in 2024. And you know the irony, I've said all along, the sooner these people stop obsessing about Donald Trump, the sooner Donald Trump goes away. 
if you stop giving him attention all the time, he starts to go away. But they can't help themselves, can they? They are desperate to obsess about Donald Trump because it gives them great attention. Look, I mean, I I just, I went over to Politico and surprisingly, I'm actually kind of surprised. Uh, it's, it's not one of the top stories, but if you scroll halfway down the page, you get Trump appointees are undermining January 6th prosecutions and our justice system. There's one. Uh, that's on Politico. Now, let me go over to CNN, which has been a, a hotbed. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Um, there's also, they're blasting McConnell for saying if Trump is the nominee, he's obligated to support the nominee, and he will. Uh, go over to CNN.com, and let's see. Uh, there's Tiger Woods. There's the Proud Boys. Up, oh, oh, there's Ivanka and Jared Trump go their own way on the January 6th commission. And if we scroll down, if we scroll down, I'm sure there's more stories on Donald Trump here somewhere. I'm sure we'll find them because... Donald Trump brings them clicks. Oh, 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 here it is. Here it is. How Elon Musk could end up being a game changer for Trump. Oh, boy. It really, truly is an obsession. They are obsessed with Donald Trump. So word comes out of the New York Manhattan District Attorney's Office, a hotbed of liberal prosecutors who don't go after uh, gun runners or gun dealers or drug dealers or murderers or carjackers. They go after white-collar criminals who might be Republican. And they go after Donald Trump, and they do a deep dive into the Trump organization. And, yeah, they get, get some people to plead guilty to, to forums and financial stuff, but nothing, nothing touches Trump. And they just know it. They know it. It is a witch hunt. They know it. And not only do they know it, they also realize that they've got to score a win here or they could, that this guy, if he doesn't go to jail, he could become president again. And they don't want that because it would be bad for democracy. Yeah, so apparently what's good for democracy is trumping up charges to try to throw a man in jail uh, and getting mad at a DA when he doesn't want to trump up the charges to go after Trump. Puns intended. It, it is the most bizarre thing. These people are broken. It's like Ann Applebaum. You know, yesterday I, I played you the audio of Ann Applebaum. She's now trying to walk it all back on how she doesn't find the Hunter Biden story interesting at all because how does it affect the president of the United States? Well, it's his son who used his father's name and claimed they were having an office together, or roommates together, sharing money from all these business transactions and the like. And, and she's like, oh, I just, it's, it's just not interesting to me. And she thinks that Viktor Orban of Hungary is somehow the, the second coming of Hitler. Everybody is the second coming of Hitler. Trump is too. I mean, these people in the media and on the left in politics were just broken by the guy. Look, there are a lot of people on the right who are broken by him too. I have a lot of friends who used to get along together, go to the same, same events together, be at the same meetings together, who can't stand to be in the same room together because they've broken over a single person and their views on that single person. Some of them get mad at me for not supporting him in 2016, and the others get mad at me for supporting him in 2020. 
people have made so much about politics. They have made so much about it on the left and the right. It has corrupted their souls. They can't be happy if they don't get their way in politics. It's like the Katanji Brown-Jackson thing. I don't think she should be on the Supreme Court. I don't think it's worth celebrating. But I understand some view it as a historic milestone worthy of celebration. I disagree, but I get it. I can appreciate the fact without celebrating it that she is the first black woman to be on the United States Supreme Court. And historically, that shows progress in this country, even though I think she's got an abhorrent judicial philosophy. I can appreciate it without celebrating it. But when you say that, I've got a buddy of mine who works for a Christian organization who's getting attacked for saying he appreciated the historic significance. Oh, why are you celebrating? He's not. He's just, he appreciates the significance. Appreciation does not mean celebration. But yet people are excoriating him. The heckler's veto on your word choices, but and so many of the heckler's vetoes on word choices these days are because you're supposed to be in a tribe and that tribe's got to bully you into being silent or saying certain things in certain ways and you can't deviate from the script. And the prosecutors, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, were supposed to prosecute Donald Trump and throw him under the jail. And they can't find a way to do it. And so now they are the bad guys because they betrayed their tribe. You know what else can betray you? The stinky smells in your house. My gosh, you you leave uh, something in in the trash can. You like raw chicken in the trash can, and it starts to stink up the whole house, and you can't get rid of the smell. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm can. It eliminates odors. It does a very good job of it. Uh, The other day, a buddy of mine had um, cigar smoke smell in his truck, and I just fired up the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Used Used a USB cable. And plugged it into his car and eliminated the odors. You can do it too. You can eliminate the odors in your RV, your camper, your upstairs, your downstairs. In fact, you can get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200 right now by going to EdenPureDeals.com and put in my name, Eric Erickson. Actually, you, you put in my discount code, Eric3, E-R-I-C-K-3. In fact, if you go to EdenPureDeals.com right now on the very front page, you'll see the discount code box. And you put in Eric3, E-R-I-C-K-3. And guess what? You save $200. You get uh, all three of them for less than $200, and you get free shipping. It doesn't just eliminate odors either. It also gets rid of the dust, the mildew, the mold floating in the air. It's an air purifier. It's filterless. You just wipe it out on occasion, and it works. It does what it says it's going to do in a very small package. It's highly portable. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. The phone lines are open, as the voice says. Y'all can make Charlie Ernest keep this afternoon. (laughs) The phone number is 877-973-7425. Yeah, I I appreciate the text messages from people imploring me to go to the Masters. I would like to. If I can, I will. Um, But, you know, parental obligations do come first. We will see. Uh, when we come back, I got to talk to you about the, you know, yesterday, I, I, man, this was one of those. So we've started a file. When I say stuff, I know is going to be prophetic so that I can then play it later and say, see, I told you people, this was going to say, this was going to happen. And I didn't do it yesterday. Yesterday I was talking about all the, all the, um, the hope that kills you did an entire monologue on how all of a sudden you've got these Democrats coming out and say, you know, it's really not that bad. Things can really change. Who cares what the polls say? It's okay. And I said that the next thing they're going to do, and it was my buddy Mike Krampaski, and I gave him credit yesterday. 
the next thing they were going to do is they were going to start writing stories about, oh, well, you know, I mean, the, the, the Democrats have a great ground game. They got a great ground game. They got a good grassroots game. They're going to get their voters out. They're going to mobilize. My gosh, less than 24 hours after I even said that, here we are. They're already doing it. The Politico has an entire story on this. I happen to know something about what they're talking about, and they're kind of missing the big picture on it. And I want to spend a little time on that. And also, there's a new book out uh, by Jonathan Martin at the New York Times and some of the insider scoops that he's got in this. For example, Nancy Pelosi privately blamed the progressives for their losses in 2020. Nancy Pelosi actually blamed Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and AOC for Democratic losses and said it was because uh, we got a bunch of new immigrants in this country who were voters, and the progressives scared them with their flippant talk about socialism and abortion when these are people of deep faith, and they fled socialism, and they didn't want to bring it here, and it was their fault. She actually said it in private. I do have to say, as much as I don't like Nancy Pelosi, my gosh, we are on polar opposite sides of each other. She actually is a savvy political operator who's been around a long time, and I, I would be surprised if she didn't recognize what was going on. But what's so interesting to me is she recognized all of that and yet has been gung-ho on the progressive side in Congress this year, which to me makes me think she knows they're going to lose, so you might as well go for broke now as opposed to she thinks that's the path to win.